I absolutely cannot repeat what Tito Francona said tonight. This is a family-friendly show. We have kids listening. Guardians win. That lead is getting bigger, uh, which is a fantastic thing. This team looks postseason bound. Yes, the Angels are struggling, but the Guardians pick up another win in a game that they could have easily let get out of hand. We're going to talk some history. We're going to talk about the game. We're going to talk about some salty language on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Guardians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, as I have been for episode 792. Let's put it this way. I'm going to get to 800 solo, and then after that, well, we all have a additional host. It is done. It is official. I cannot say more than that, uh, but we're bringing someone in. Um, should I give any spoilers? Let's just say it is someone that has appeared on this show been about you know 20 30 guests over the 800 episodes so it does limit it but yeah there will be someone who has been on this show who is going to be the new co-host and the fourth host in the history of this show now i have done this i consider it a solo job for 800 episodes because i am the only person who has ever cut and edited an episode of lockdown guardians by the way i'm jeff ellis if this is your first time listening thank you for listening uh before this i was a lead draft and prospect analyst it's gotten 24 7 I've been at Locked On since the baseball network came into existence here. Uh, I want to thank you for making Locked On Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is you get podcasts. But yes, no, the, uh, no one has ever edited an episode of this podcast. No one has ever uploaded an episode of this podcast except for me. So uh, yeah, it, it's even when I had co-hosts, I had to do all of the behind-the-scenes work. So it's been kind of basically uh, a solo show in that regard. It's like having a series of guests, but no co-host so i'm looking forward to having a full-on co-host who's going to help take away some of those duties occasionally and you know curtail the burnout if one is being honest but at the same time before we get into this game today forget burnout uh we were 44th best most downloaded most listened to podcast baseball podcast this week uh on the itunes charts that is fantastic we've only break breaking broken the top 50 a handful of times if I counted correctly, we were eighth amongst all baseball podcasts in the Lockdown Network. That is unheard of. I think we've cracked the top ten maybe once or twice before. That is huge. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who is listening, downloading. Um, I appreciate you all, and I just wanted to start off with that there because that's that's just it's great. It means that uh, when the weekly newsletter comes out, this podcast will get uh, some props. The people at the top will see it, and you know we talked about it multiple times. In the past year, there were points where I wasn't sure I was going to still get to host this podcast, so thank you all to everyone who's been so supportive. Uh, so let's get into the seventh inning. Uh, I sh- I'm just realizing... Nothing. Uh, realizing I, I meant to do the now before I did the episode. That's it. And instead, they're going to be in reverse order. It happens. Uh, co-host is over there. So the seventh inning. I'm not quite sure... What got Tito so hot and bothered watching that? Like, the fact that they couldn't review if he got hit or not. It is Jimenez. So, I mean, 
he, somehow he probably got hit because my goodness he gets hit a ton but the fact that they couldn't review it or wouldn't review it like I, watching it and then I before I watched the whole game and then I went back and just watched that section again for the sake of uh, just trying to better understand it like I understood more to a degree why Nevin got tossed just because his pitcher hadn't pitched in over six minutes <laughs> that's, a, that's a layoff um but yeah, I, I didn't quite. I, I'm kind of curious exactly what got Tito so mad. If it was the fact they couldn't review it, because I mean that's just the thing that that's you can't review if someone got hit or not. Uh, yeah, it, it was kind of an odd little situation, which overshadowed the fact that you know Cleveland got the winning run uh, thanks to an Andre is no not Andres and Ahmed Rosario double. They intentionally walk Jose, which has become a very common theme for other teams. Uh, and then Oscar Gonzalez swings at a ball that's about a foot outside for strike one, for strike three, out one. Uh, Owen Miller has a very weak pop-up, and then Jimenez grounds out to the shortstop. Like, they had two fast guys on base and nobody out, and they, they didn't get any insurance runs. Thankfully, the bullpen held up. Again, like, it's entertaining, and it's really weird to see two managers get thrown out, um without a pitch being thrown. Like, I can't recall that ever happening before. So, yeah, that that was, was a little bit different today, let's be honest. But let's get into the nitty-gritty uh, of this game. Cleveland wins at 5-4. Uh, you're going through the... You? No? I mean, I'm going through the box. So who reached base multiple times? Well, that'd be Quan, that'd be Rosario, that'd be Jose, that'd be Owen Miller. That would be... Is that it? Is that really it? I feel like there was also, what? Two intentional walkings by Jose Ramirez. And then Oscar Gonzalez got beamed. I don't think he had a hit or anything, no. Uh, I believe I said that one Miller had one. And then, uh, yeah, the, so who didn't reach base at all? The answer to that question would be Miles Straw. <laughs> Giving him so much praise and hoping oh, positive signs of life. Not so much in this one. Uh, getting into the box score bingos, I like to call it Cleveland had eight hits. They also had three walks. That is 11 opportunities there. But they also had two intentional walks and hit batter. So the three walks was really six walks. That's 14 opportunities overall. And an error by Los Angeles, that's 15 opportunities. They should average about five runs. Hey, they got five in this one. Uh, what? Two extra base, no, three extra base hits. Two doubles by Ahmed and one by Hedges. On the other side, five hits by Los Angeles, four walks. That's nine opportunities. They should be good for about three runs. It's a little bit higher because the home run. And it's kind of interesting. You really get down to it. Connor Pilkington, you take away the two home runs. He goes five innings, one hit, three walks, three strikeouts, no earned runs. Just kind of interesting to go back and think about it. Like He's good enough to be a major league pitcher. He just doesn't have quite the command, which I mean goes back to college. Honestly, like he was a player going into his junior year who had top ten pick hype and goes in the third round because the command just wasn't there. And if he could hit his spots just a little bit better, I think he'd be a mid uh, mid rotation starter. This isn't a case of Logan Allen where the stuff Logan Allen the elder where the stuff just wasn't good enough. Like let's just be honest, that's the problem with Logan Allen. The fastball was straight; it didn't move enough. Pilkington's stuff is good enough. I don't know if the command is going to be there. He, I mean, he could be fascinating as a bullpen reclamation project. Um, I don't think he gets let go in this offseason because I think there could be some henches there in terms of that profile. And especially if, you know, Anthony Goose, Ghost is let go. 
if his goose is cooked, as it were, then that could be an interesting lefty. Because, again, they don't have a... Tim Heron is probably the most interesting lefty reliever in the upper minors, and I don't think they're protecting him this offseason. Uh, so, you know, we'll have to see. You know, Trevor Steffen gets the two strikeouts, but also gives up the two hits. Henches is the one-third of an inning. He gets the strikeout. Class A, one inning, one strikeout. I mean, they didn't... Outside of Yale didn't allow a hit. Eli Morgan didn't allow a hit. Bullpen after the fifth, they came out, allowed two hits and one walk combined while striking out seven. It's pretty good. I mean, this bullpen continues to be strong. It's the second or third okay performance by Eli Morgan. Again, he doesn't have to be the guy he was over the first three months where he was one of the best relievers in baseball. He can just be a solid reliever. If he And that's the thing. The stats show like he's not dramatically different, so he's in his head. Finding that success is huge for him. And hopefully he'll just start to believe in himself a little bit more as I think he can be very useful for this Cleveland Guardians team. Three stars in this one. Uh, well, Ahmed, you know, he got the game-winning hit and he had a pair of doubles. The, you know, two out of three extra base hits in this one. I think he has to be one of your three stars. Jose reached base four times because they walked him four times. Uh, didn't score any runs. Didn't have any RBIs. It worked out for, uh the Angels, but I mean, reaching base four times, that, that gets you up there for me. And then, you know, it, like going through, the cleanest innings were NEL and Class A. Uh, Pilkington wasn't quite good enough for it. If I'm just looking at, you know, Quan with the pair of singles, do you look at Hedges for the, the double, which was, I mean, a fairly big hit. I'm, I'm tempted to lean into Hedges just because that double was one of the, maybe the biggest hit of the game. Uh, and, you know, let's let's give him credit for that, on top of, as always, calling a really nice game in this one. Cleveland wins, 74-65 and 65 now. For Everyone wants to talk about how it's, you know, the worst division in baseball, this and that. I don't, and people, you know, I read some articles about people being like, oh man, you know, I maybe as a wild card you want to line up to face Cleveland. Who wants Cleveland in the postseason? Who wants a team with a third-best bullpen in the postseason? Yes. The offense has some issues, but that seven eight nine is not fun. Having to face Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrell, not fun. Yes, every team's got a bit of a murderer's row with their top three pitchers, but that bullpen is a huge separator for them. I don't think this is a team that people want to face. We're gonna take our first break. I'm gonna come back and you know get into a little bit of history on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. And our sponsor today, our good friends over at Bet Online. How about we talk about their MLB playoff odds? Right now, Cleveland to win the division is minus 300, plus 240 at a no. Huge favorite. 1 to 3 odds and 12 to 5 at a no. Man, I talked about, I, I'm still kicking myself. The beginning of the season odds were like 74 wins for Cleveland. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this team's going to get to 80. I feel very confident they can win 80. It's about the fourth time where I've been super confident and I haven't listened to myself and I could have been making some bank over here at Bet Online, Will the Los Angeles Dodgers beat the regular season win record of 116? No is minus 10,000. Tells you where that's shaping up. Uh, National League East, Mets, the favorites, and you got the Braves, the Phillies, plus 50,000, 501 odds. Uh, there's some fun things going on right now with our good friends over at Bet Online. Uh, go check it out for yourself. As a matter of fact, you can go check out the line for tomorrow's Guardians game. It is Cleveland favored by one and a half. If any of that sounds good, 
make sure to check out our good friends. And again, I will say it, even if you're like me and get, you know, I'm not someone who obviously I've had great information. I'm not really someone who gambles. It's great for information. Go to bet online to get all of that information because you know, the books know before the rest of us, they always have the inside knowledge. Go check out bet online today. So a few things, I have a correction. I want to, I, I feel like I, I have a unofficial person. Uh, and I say this, uh, Andrew, I mean this in the nicest way. I feel like I kind of got like, uh, you know, the dude in the box who helps me when I miss things. Uh, and that is Andrew Kinsman at Fever Dog. That uh, roster resource has it wrong. Thursday is not an off day. It is a one-off matchup against the White Sox with McKenzie likely going for Cleveland. Uh, last Friday, Cleveland began a stretch and went they have to play 18 games in 17 days. Your only remaining off day for the rest of the season is September 26th. So again, thank you to Andrew. And also, Andrew helped me out because I was looking at the transaction, transactions page because, you know, I'm seeing... It's kind of amazing. It's like the longest they've gone without a major league transaction of any sort. I noticed that they had signed uh, Harrison Ruiz with almost nothing on him. I spent an entire lunch break Googling him uh, without much luck. He let me know uh, from another place that uh, low 90s fastball slider for that pitcher. But it's just interesting because you sometimes don't see those you know, uh, Latin players just kind of appear in the transactions page, especially if they're just going to like the DSL or one of the other ones. And, you know, he's, I want to say, you know, already 18 years old. So also, you don't often see guys sign at that age. Uh, before we talk history, I also want to take a moment and say you really need to go check out Travis Sawchuk's piece over at The Score. Talking about, so, Pitchcom is the new big thing. It's, you know, you push buttons and it allows you to, you're not putting on fingers, there's no sign stealing. It allows you to get information between the catcher and the pitcher quickly. And Austin Hedges apparently went to the Cleveland, you know, techies and had them hack this thing. So again, not, uh, I can't talk about some of the things he says in there, uh, a friendly, family friendly podcast, but he, uh, very selectively like put some things in it and like uses it as both a reinforcer and a punishment procedure. If a pitch doesn't go well, he, you know, again, just thinking outside the box and the pitchers talk about how it's been great for morale and fun. But the other interesting thing is you used to have to push like pitch and position and he got them to hack it down to one. And to me, the big takeaway is Cleveland went from 23.7 seconds to 22.7 or 22.2, which is the third fastest. And like Bieber went from 23 seconds last year to 19.9 this year, which is important because that puts him below that 20 second pitch clock. They're going to have to move quick next year. And something like Pitchcom cutting out one button press is huge. And more and more, I'm curious to see what the cost of Hedges is. Because what he does, is he necessarily a starter? Listen, he's probably going to win another gold glove. How much is that worth to you? How much is his ability to handle the staff? Like, if you can get him at what he makes this year... I'm tempted to just have that. If you can, if Cleveland can actually raise their payroll a little, make him a backup. You know, is three to four million worth it for a guy who still might catch eighty to ninety games? Like, if you're going to have a hybrid, let's be honest, Bo Naylor isn't coming up till June. They're going to manipulate service time. The only guy whose service time they haven't manipulated was Stephen Kwan. Stephen Kwan was an older player who I don't think anyone felt for sure was going to. You know, they didn't think he was going to be what he is. 
Like let's let's just be honest about that. No one thought he was going to be what he is. But yeah, I they're gonna manipulate Naylor. It just makes sense. Bring in hedges or keep hedges if you're not gonna go out and make that big trade and figure uh, out how you are going to, you know, do that situation and catch her. Because Naylor's improved, but he is still by no means like a grand defender behind the plate. But yes, go definitely check out the Travis Sawchuck piece to get even more information. It is fantastic. It really helps you see behind the scenes. Speaking of recent articles, uh, Rosenthal and Zach Meisel talked to Terry Francona. It certainly seems like he's going to stick around for at least one more year. That is kind of the takeaway from talking with him. So uh, go read that piece on The Athletic. Now, in the game tonight, Mike Trout went deep for the seventh time. That made me think about the fact that the first baseball game I ever went to I had thought Ken Griffey Jr. had homered for the eighth straight game. Turns out it was only the sixth straight game at the time. I think that might have been... He broke a Mariners record, and that's why I confused it with breaking a major league record. He would go on to hit in eight straight games. Kind of a funny twist of fate. I was there on Saturday, July 24th. Is No. Is that right? No. Uh, Saturday, July 24th. Loser in that game, Jerry DePoto, current Seattle Mariners GM. That's why that was humorous. Humorous. I was there for the Sunday game, July 25th, 1993, 1.37 p.m. local start time. This is the first baseball game I got to go to. This is my first Major League Baseball game. Cleveland were winners 11-9. We sat behind a pole. <laughs> there was nobody there. Like, in my mind, I can remember dozens of people at this game in 1993. It felt like there was nobody there. We still had to leave in the seventh inning because my dad didn't want to fight traffic. Um, we could have moved around, but it's the the humorous thing to go back and look is the uh, the thing I remember was Albert Bell went deep, and for a while, like the first six games I went to, Albert Bell homered in. Uh, he actually had two homers in this game for Cleveland. He even stole a base, and like I said, I thought Griffey had gotten the uh, the eighth. It was the sixth home run, and. Jeremy Hernandez with a blown save win. Derek Lilliquist with the save. I feel like when we left, Cleveland was losing. I think we missed their rally. And I can kind of remember my dad being like, jokingly on the way out, why'd you make us leave? Like, that really popped in my head as I looked at this box score. But I just thought it was funny. I'd bring it up. Because it mirrors, like, Anaheim. It's also the humor of Jerry DePoto pitching against the Mariners. And again, it was one of those things where I'm like, this is my first baseball game. As uh, the host of this show, uh, it's just kind of funny to go back and think about that was the first game I ever went to. Cleveland won 11-9. You had 11 hits for Cleveland, 12 for Seattle, one error for Seattle. Uh, Cleveland, and just like then, uh, Cleveland managed all of one walk. Then and now, things stay the same. Uh, Or no, I'm sorry, Cleveland managed four walks. Uh, It was Seattle that managed one walk on the other side of things. But at the same time, like, Carlos Martinez and Paul Sorrento both were intentionally walked. Different, different era. <laughs> uh, I got thrown off because Omar Vizquel was hitting leadoff for Seattle, uh, just in terms of things that would change in the near future. But yeah, that's that's kind of some fun, at least for me, I thought it was some fun history to go and dig out and be like, oh, I didn't have the memory quite right as a 12-year-old back then, but it was something that stuck out for me, something I remembered. And yeah, that was my first game. What was your first game? Make sure you can hit me up on Twitter at Jeff MLB Draft to tell me what your first game was. And uh, does it beat mine? Did you get to see something better than that? Uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of history. Like I said, that was a, a team record, so I got to see that. Got to see a lot of Albert Bell home runs. 
I nearly got to see a Max Scherzer perfect game. Carlos Gomez hit a solo home run. It was the only base runner in a game back when uh, the Brewers were really awful. Um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's kind of fun to think back to that. I remember going with like my cousins and all of those things, and I don't know the 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 rose tinted cu- uh, glasses of nostalgia uh, certainly made that a fun think back. I'm going to uh, take break number two here. We're going to come back, and trust me, we got some more fun things to dive into. We're going to talk a little minor leagues because we took that poll, and I'll let you know what the general view was on talking minors on today's Locked On Guardians. So the poll was 95% that they want more minors, not less. And also to my friend who keeps like harping about Oscar Gonzalez. Yeah, he's playing well. I mean, he's played well all year. I was probably writing and talking about him before you even knew he existed. I'm, I, I'm just expressing my concerns with a profile that typically does not lead to success. And if I am wrong, then it's fantastic. But I'm not going to change looking at things through an analytical perspective. And I'm not going to all of a sudden be like, hey, that one dude broke the system. Let's... No, like, listen, when I started out writing, I was the Mr. Size Doesn't Matter. And the Guardians at the time were very much the same. And you know what? Both the Guardians and I have kind of changed to size does matter. Like, it does affect your likelihood of outcomes. Now there are points in time where, uh, you know, listen, I would have, I had Marcus Stroman much higher than uh, Tyler Naquin. I was also very high on Brandon Finnegan. I love Tyler J, you know, for the ones I missed. But I think it's important, like, the more time you spend around, the more you're like, you have so much data available. Listen, like I said, Salvador Perez is the best possible outcome. And for the person being like, Vladdy Sr., Vladdy Sr. is a terrible comp on about a million different levels. One, Vladdy Sr. walked about four times as much as Oscar does. He was an amazing athlete, a cannon for an arm. Vladdy Sr. is the unicorn of unicorns, one of the most unreal talents of all time. It's just a bad comp. It is a bad comp, and I see it all the time because, hey, they swing at everything. Vladdy walked. Hate to break it to you. Actually, go look at the numbers um, before you throw something out there that makes no sense because I get it all the time, and then I'm like, yeah, look, they're not at all similar. Let's get into Miner's Talk now that I've had my rant. (laughs) It's my my one per show, uh, sometimes more than one. So I had someone say they wanted to hear about ISO. For those who don't know, ISO is isolated power, and it's maybe the best metric for seeing, you know, uh, overall power outcomes, potential future power. Top 10 players. Number 10, George Valera. By the way, 22nd home run, third in the minors he hit this week behind uh, the guys who are 1 and 2 on this list. Nine, actually tied for ninth. I believe Valera is tied with Alex Call. I lost my... Yep. They're both tied. Micah Pries, let me correct that. They're at eight. Bo Naylor at seven. Alex Frey Planez. Like, he's been an interesting guy. Uh, a good production as a 20-year-old in high A. He's just walking four percent. Like, there's all the things you look at. Like, the OPS isn't great. Walking four percent of the time. I don't know. He's an interesting player. He was Rule 5 eligible a year ago. I don't think anyone's too focused. Jose Gomez, we've his name has come up multiple times. He is uh, 17 years old and doing very well in the DSL. Uh, Wilfredo Anutez has spent some time in A-ball and in the Complex League, a 238 
Walking 21% of the time to 17% strikeout. Interesting in that regard. Next up, Will Benson at three. Number two, Jonathan Rodriguez, who has slowed up a little bit since he's moved up to double A. Uh, and who, though, still has you know a higher runs created plus than the number two guy on our list. Or the number one guy, which is uh, John Kenzie Noel, who is a 273. Absolutely unreal in terms of his power numbers. Now, if we go the other way, who are our bottom ten? Uh, Yifen Rivera in the DSL. Not super familiar with the 18-year-old. Mike Rivera, who I believe retired from baseball in the middle of this year. Uh, the former Florida catcher, who was just an amazing defender. But that was about it. Luis Durango, a player in A-ball. Raiden Helgado, a player in the Dominican Summer League. You're going to notice this is mostly Dominican Summer League. Roberto Lopez, complex. Zach Fascia, a catcher who's been up and down for them. And then it's your fan, or why should go in order, Pedro Hernandez, Luan Andre, Jan Gomez, and your fan John all down in the Dominican Summer League. Now, if you wanted to look at this, and I'm like, okay, so we're going to get rid of the comp. We're just going to look at no complex league. Nope, that was not the thing to do. I'm just going to look at... I do. Okay, so I had something kind of go wrong here. I'm going to pause for one second. I swear the sort function worked better in this in the past. But if we just want to talk about the 10 lowest players who are a ball or higher, Zach Vacasia is the lowest. The catcher who's just been a filler as they've needed catching depth. Luis Durango, who we previously mentioned. Mike Rivera, who is no longer playing baseball, is at 3 4. Uh, Skeeling Rodriguez, who has played a bit in A-ball. Five, Quentin Holmes, who they also let go. Six, Yordis Valdez, former second-round pick. All defense. I mean, I... Listen, it was not my favorite pick. <laughs> I was questioning the def- uh, the bat then. Uh, Levar Sade at uh, six, seven. M- Mikel Ramirez, seven. Victor Nova, also been cut. Eight, Richard Paz. And Abel will uh, Winifin Peralta at nine. And then your last guy on the list would be Christian Cairo, who was the third rounder the same year they took um, Valdez in the second round. Gave those two a lot of money. Uh, if you want something humorous, he's a lot, uh, I said he's 10. If you want to go down to 12, 12 lowest ISO in the minors this year, Ty Freeman. <laughs> so it's kind of been, you know, one of my concerns there. Uh, Carson Tucker, who we uh, expressed extreme concern with on this show recently, would come in 14th, uh, though he did have his first home run I saw this past week. Cleveland Guardians have an excellent minor leagues. Don't get swallowed up by the badness there. The one thing you would say, though, is they don't have a ton of power. That is that one thing that, you know, listen, if we got rid of the the two guys on this list who were from uh, the more the complex leagues, the the other ones at the top who would make it in terms of ISO, Oscar Gonzalez, and then Angel Martinez. Now, they have so many infielders, and he's the guy who start, started the year in A-ball. Don't sleep on him. Do not sleep on him. I was slow to adapt. I'll be the first to say I was slow to, like, add him in. He's a top 10 prospect, 100%. Like, he is just continued to hit and not slow up at all. 
if David Fry was actually being in more of a utility role, he would be kind of fascinating. The guy they got for J.C. Mejia. Uh, and then here's kind of the humor of it. You know who's 16th overall in the minors in, uh, in ISO? And this might be enough to invalidate the stat for many of you out there. Ernie Clement. That's right, Ernie Clement. Because that Columbus Park is a, you know, a, is a, a shoebox. It's really small, and he's able to also use his speed to get some doubles and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to look at it that way. But it also speaks to the lack of power in this minor league system and, it's, you know, why adding someone like Chase DeLauder in the first round is interesting because he has legitimate plus power potential, so... Uh, we just wish that some of those guys actually played this year in the minors. 